Hello and welcome to yet another mind-bogglingly sensational episode of Jumpers for Goalposts World Review, the show that takes an in-depth look at the goings-on in European football and across the globe. I'm your host Colin Stone and although the sun is shining outside, it's apparently 20 degrees, here in the GFG Arena we are slowly slow-cooking to death. I think Andy now knows what a roast chicken feels like. However, as I say, I'm joined by my wonderful pundits, my wonderful wundits, Andy Ferguson and Peter McVitie. Andy, how are you this fine, sunny day? Fantastic. The sun is out. It's a great day. But we are in here in essentially a sauna. Well, yeah, it is kind of like an oven, but I just can't wait to get outside, to be honest. Do you think we should move the podcast outside? Well, if we could do that. I mean, the folk outside are playing American football. They've kind of taken the spot we'd use, but I'm sure we could fight them. Oh, I'd win. Anyway. As you'll see on Twitter, JFG Podcast, Pete has tw- tweeted a picture of me in sunglasses because it's just so uh, sunny or hot in here today. However, my glasses have now been stolen and Peter and Andy have both taken pictures. Pete is still in the process of tweeting it. Pete, how impressed were you with my glasses? I wasn't impressed with them when I first <laughs> saw them on you, but I mean, Andy looks quite dapper in them. He looks incredible. Thanks, man. He's like the guy from CSI. He just takes his glasses off slowly. He's like, <laughs> Bundesliga is the best. It's true. And on it is that, true. On that utterly bizarre opening, it's time to start the show. We're going to go straight to the Serie A, where defending champions Juventus clinched their 29th Serie A title with a 1-0 victory over Palermo on Sunday. A penalty from Arturo Vidal secured the win and gave Juve an unassailable 14-point lead over second-place Napoli with four games to play. It's the first time they have won back-to-back titles in 10 years, excluding the titles of 2005 and 6, which were subsequently stripped. They now have 11 more titles than anyone else in Italy. Now, despite their 29th Scudetto success. Sunday was not the perfect day for the old lady as Juve finished the game with 10 men after Paul Pogba was sent off for spitting at Palermo defender Salvatore Aronica. For Italy midfielder Andrea Pirlo, the title is his third in three successive seasons and fourth in total after he won with AC Milan in 2004 and 2011 and with Juve in 2012 and 2013. Now we're going to go on to the debate over whether it's 29 titles or 31 later on but first of all, Juve have essentially steamrolled everybody before them. What do they need to do to improve on, or rather, what should they improve on for next season? Because really, where they failed this year was was in Europe. Yeah, I mean, obviously, next season actually looks quite bright for Juventus uh, because don't expect them to lose many players. They've got Fernando Llorente coming in in, uh, in summer, which um, although he hasn't played for a full season, he might be lacking some sharpness. I do think he's a fantastic addition for for this Juventus team so I think that's a big big improvement that the team's making because over the last two years at various points they have looked like a team missing an out and out goal scorer so this an addition like him with Vucinic and Giovinco there as well then it gives them the the chance to change the style at certain points in the season and and still uh, adds a bit of depth so that they can they can balance both the league and the Champions League so I think they can improve on on the Champions League and, and certainly they, they obviously have what it takes to win a league again, so I think they've got a good hopes of going further in Europe. Now, you say that Juve will probably hold on to most of their squads. Having said that, Arturo Vidal has arguably been Juve's best player this season, scored his 10th goal on Sunday in their title win. Do you see perhaps potential clubs, maybe someone like Barcelona, Manchester United coming in for someone like Vidal because clearly he's a quality player. Well of course the the links are never going to go away, uh, particularly with uh, Bayern Munich it seems because he was very close to joining them uh, prior to agreeing the move to Juventus but I think Juventus are probably in a position now where they can hold on to their best talent even if the, the best clubs in Europe come calling. I mean uh, that's two Scudettos in a row 
they do look like they're going to make the step next season to improve and become uh, one of the dominant forces in the Champions League. Um, whether they, they do uh, become that force will, uh, remains to be seen, but keeping players like Vidal is going to be central to their plans, so I don't see them uh, letting him go, um, and if they would, they would demand a very, very high fee that only a few clubs in Europe would be willing to pay. But if you're a, a team in Europe um, like Barcelona, Real Madrid, PSG, Manchester City, someone with a lot of money, um, you're going to be wanting to sign Vidal because he has been probably the best player in Serie A this season. Obviously, He's been excellent. Obviously, remember, it was a catastrophe when they sold Zinedine Zidane, who was the, the highest uh, transfer fee ever. So, I mean, it would take a lot of money to get uh, Vidal away from Juventus and he would obviously need to, to agree a, a deal as well and he's, he's obviously happy there so I mean if, if the money did come in it would be big money they, it's impo- it's possible to, to reinvest it in the team but it would be a big blow for them in their first season at least Well now you mentioned Fernando Llorente joining Juventus how will their style change with Llorente coming in? Because at the moment they've really only got Mirko Vucinic and he's a very different player yeah. to Llorente It would be good to see if they can get Llorente and Vucinic playing together. Then you have an out-and-out goal scorer with with somebody playing off the back and supporting them, which with the team around them, with the wingers and and the, the central midfielders around them and the full-backs and uh, Lichsteiner and and uh, Asamoah, I think I think it would it would work very well. I don't think there needs to be too much in terms of a style change because uh, Conte likes to play in in the way they are playing just now. So I think it would only um, increase the attacking potency of the, of the team. They've got a full summer to work with it, and I think it's definitely going to be bring a lot of of positives to the team. It gives them a, a different alternative, um, maybe a, a greater sense of directness up front. Um, it means that we all know that Llorente is very good in the air. They can play a high ball into the box, and he, he's going to put in a good aerial challenge to try and uh, score a goal with his head. So that that's a different sort of aspect of the the team performance that they can look at uh, because with players like Vucinic and Cagliarella they don't really have that outlet right now so it'll be interesting to see how they develop but it does obviously give them a more interesting partnership of probably Llorente and Vucinic up front which I, I would really like to see next season. Now back to the debate over 29 or 31 titles Marcello Lippi yesterday said that Juve had won 31 titles including the 2005 and 2006 wins. Where do you stand on the matter? Is it 29 or is it 31? It's 29 because the official records say 29. I don't... Didn't ask you what the official records say. Ask yeah, what but you so say. The, well, then it's 29. I mean, in terms of, of Calciopoli and stuff and, and match fiction, I mean, it's all it's all been and gone and I, I don't think there's really any debate or even any significance on it. I mean, the official records say 29 and for me it's, it's 29. I agree. I think that um, anyone with an affinity towards Juventus are going to say it's 31 um, obviously there's a lot of um, bad blood uh, with the Calciopoli because the titles were awarded to Inter Milan. Personally, it might have been best if those titles were just remained null and void. Um, and I think the Juventus fans are always going to hold that against the league for doing that. But the records say 29 and for me it is 29. I was hoping for a Javier Zanetti-esque brawl there, but nonetheless it didn't happen. Elsewhere in Serie A over the weekend, Mario Balotelli was third-placed AC Milan saviour at the San Siro as he scored in the closing stages against Torino to seal his side's 1-0 victory. Fiorentina's defeat by Roma on Saturday evening meant Milan had a chance to increase the gap between themselves and the Viola in fourth to four points. And with only three rounds of league matches left to play, Balotelli's close-range strike in the 84th minute did just that. Now... 
the former Man City striker has seemingly adapted very well I, once again to Italian football. Has he matured as well as now the almost Mario Balotelli 2.0? I think it's too soon to say. Um, I think the difference in his game now is obviously the fact that he's playing at AC Milan where he is pretty much top dog. Whereas at Manchester City, he was in amongst an abundance of great strikers and great players where he wasn't necessarily the main man. And I think he really thrives in that uh, position that he's in right now. Uh, since he's come in, even uh, Stefan El Shirawi sort of not dropped down the pecking order but hasn't really hit the, the same heights, which is... A bit harsh because he obviously so much was expected of him after his great start to the season and he's only a young boy so you can't really expect too much from him but Balotelli's come in and he's he's probably in a sense um, picked up AC Milan's season because since he's come in the performances have been excellent they've uh, they've barely dropped any points through his goals and um, he, he looks to be a, a great signing and somewhat of a replacement for Ibrahimovic. Pete, you were celebrating whilst I was reading that wee blurb. Why were you so triumphant? Because I just think Balotelli's been absolutely fantastic. It's great to see him actually looking like fulfilling his potential. He's happy now. He's with a team that's supporting him. And as Andy says, he, he is a top dog. And uh, important phrasing that is he's a team. He's not in a, a, he's in a team. He's not in a a group of individuals and he's getting proper service and I think he's now got a, a coach who's supporting him properly as opposed to Mancini who would back in the morning I did feel sorry for Balotelli and Mancini and the way things went at Man City but I mean yeah it's 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 great to see him finally um, looking like fulfilling his potential uh, wonderful to see my only worry for him is that you're saying with um, him having a coach that has faith in him and a coach that's dealt with him very well is that it looks increasingly likely that Allegri's going to leave at the end of the season. Um, mm-hmm. He's looking more and more likely to be on the bench at Roma next season. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to see if whoever comes in at AC Milan, how, how they'll handle Balotelli because, let's face it, he isn't the, the easiest character to, uh, to put up with um, but again let's hope it doesn't take away from his on-field performances I you think it's important to say though in that respect though that he, he hasn't brought any controversy with him at AC Milan that's, that's the key he hasn't made anything he hasn't made any issues so you could say that if a manager does let Balotelli loose he'll be like a firework in a bathroom now in other news of the weekend Napoli will play Champions League football next season after Edinson Cavani's hat-trick fired them to a convincing 3-1 win over Inter on Sunday will the Uruguayan be there to see them in the Champions League next year? I really hope so I would be devastated if he if he left I, I think so because Llorentes is is so adamant that he's going to keep him and even if he does go again it's it's kind of like with, with Vidal I mean somebody's got to put a lot of money into, into getting him you're talking about, it's about 60, 60 million, 60 million, 60 million yeah. just for the fee yeah. and then his wages are going to be like what 10 million a year Something maybe like that. Um, maybe even just less than that so if you're talking over a 4 or 5 year contract then you're talking 100 million for Edinson Cavani, which is a, which is quite a lot of money, so. but at the same time, it does it. It makes almost financial sense. I mean, it seems like it's almost too good an offer. Let's say somebody comes in, Napoli would be hard pushed to turn something like that down. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, that, but it, it will take that sixty million, and that is something that they can reinvest heavily in the squad. And when you're talking about when you are talking about sixty million, it is very hard to to discuss. But Laurenti says an offer like that is is when he'll open negotiations. So it doesn't mean that they're actually going to sell him for sixty million. If you watch his performance at the weekend, it was just a joy to behold. Like he got his hat trick, 
but he was working all over the pitch. He was defending at right back, defending corners. He was in midfield. He was scoring goals. I, I, he's worth that much, I think. Um, and it just depends if a team is, is going to pay that much money mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. But as we've said many times on this pod over the past couple of years, he is central to anything good that Napoli wants to achieve in the future. Yeah. So you can understand why uh, De Laurentiis wants to keep him so much. Yeah, I mean, 101 goals in 135 games for Napoli. It's a phenomenal record. That's, a, that's magnificent, but as Andy says, I mean, the guy works so hard. So with Cavani, you're getting an out-and-out goal scorer who works remarkably hard, is just an, a, a really admirable player and a, 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 overall a fair player who is in the elite of of of, foot, of European football when it comes to strikers, in my opinion. So he is worth the money, but it's in the days of financial fair play and the money that's kicking around now, it's I don't really know who can can pay it at this point. I think you, you, your two fanboy crushes on Ensign Cavani is very reminiscent of Twilight fans and Jacob Black. Yeah, now, other talking points from this great. week. <laughs> other talking points from this weekend's Serie A action was Lazio's astonishing 6-0 demolition of Bologna, in which the evergreen Miroslav Klose bagged five goals. What a guy. Uh, will he ever stop? Is he ever going to die? Is he invincible? Well, um, come then. <laughs> <laughs> Talk, he's, he's, talking of fanboy crushes, meet mine and Vinoslav Kosa. Ah, true, yeah, forgot about that. But yeah, Kosa <laughs> is some player and he's in his mid-30s now, yet he's still banging them in. He's, what's that, 15 goals for the season now he's in? Uh, first, his first goals of 2013, must really? be said. Well, if you're going to get them, you score five in a game, aren't you? It makes <laughs> up the, the old record. But yeah, he's some player, um, just... The goals that he was scoring, um, he still has that instinct of being in the right place at the right time, applying a perfect finish. And um, if he can keep doing that, he's still one of the first choices for the German national team. Then, um, yeah, why why not keep going? And talking of Lazio's city rivals, Roma, a last gasp goal from Pablo Osvaldo left Fiorentina's Champions League hopes in tatters. As for all La Viola's possession, they could not break down Andrea Atriazzoli's side and were forced to watch their former striker take revenge deep into injury time. Heartbreak for Fiorentina. Andy, you're celebrating. Why? Well, I I like Osvaldo. I'm a big fan of his. He may be a bit nuts, to say the least, off the field, but on the field he is um, a, a very good striker. And um, it, it was a great victory for Roma, despite being under the cosh, so to say, for the whole 90 minutes. Um, Fiorentina dominated the game, and then Roma went up the pitch and scored in the last minute. So, um, heartbreaking for Fiorentina in terms of trying to uh, secure Champions League. That leaves them was it two points behind AC Milan now. It's going to be a tough ask, but... Um, it's still a great result for Roma to eventually pick up the three points. Now we head over to the Bundesliga where Borussia Dortmund denied 10-man FC Bayern Munich their 15th straight Bundesliga win since the turn of the year as Germany's top two played out a gritty 1-1 draw at the Signal Iduna Park. In a highly entertaining prequel to the side's UEFA Champions League final meeting at Wembley in three weeks' time, Dortmund's Kevin Grosskreutz opened the scoring with a stunning volley with Mario Gomez levelling for Bayern shortly afterwards. The home side had the better chances to win it after the break not least when Lewandowski was denied by Manuel Neuer from the penalty spot. But Bayern played out the final 25 minutes a man short after fullback Rafinha was sent off for two daft bookable offences. Who will be feeling the better of the two sides after this 1-1 draw? I don't think you can really read too much into it. I mean, everybody was excited because this was the diet Champions League final. Um, but I mean, I didn't really expect much going into it because both teams had played during the week, exhaustive ties, especially Dortmund. And I thought they would rest players. They did, and 
there wasn't really much to it. I think the only the only thing I think you can read into it is that in the two league games they've played this season, Dortmund have more than held their own against a, a rampant Bayern Munich, which suggests that they are actually their equals when they come head to head, as opposed to over the course of the season. Bayern are obviously much much stronger, but head to head they can they can do it, which is uh, which is a positive. Uh, hopefully. The, the penalty miss won't weigh too heavily on Lewandowski. I was just about to ask that. I said, would that save from Neuer have any sort of psychological psychological effect on the Polish striker? Is that reading too much into it? Yeah, I th- I th- to a certain extent. I mean, I think it is reading a bit too much into it. But if, I mean, if there was a penalty during the Champions League final and he stepped up, we might, <laughs> might be considering it. Manuel Neuer will know where he goes and, and everything. But the uh, key was that Gomez scored a header. Uh, Dortmund have conceded a lot of headers this season which when you get into it, Subotic and, and Hummels really need to, to keep a, an eye on him and when it gets to the final because if you let him slip and a loft ball comes in from Ribéry or, or Robin, then he can meet it and he can really do some damage. So not too much to take into it, but that's uh, quite interesting. Now, Andy, Pete is saying that both teams are fairly equal. Now, coming into their meeting in just three weeks' time, if Dortmund are to beat Bayern, I mean, they've not done that this season in four meetings, where... Do they need to focus? Where's Bayern's weakness? They've seemingly looked unstoppable, well, especially yeah. in their seven-nil aggregate win over Barca. In the Bayern Munich, eh, sorry, in the Barcelona game, eh, the, the midfield dominated, and that is obviously eh, Bayern's main point. But it's hard to find a weakness in that team. Um, defensively, they're so strong in the midfield and the striking department. They've got so many options. So I think. Um, Dortmund just need to um, play with the same pressure and same energy that they they do. Um, in all of their games and hopefully just try and like, we've seen it before last season uh, Dortmund were able to get the better of Bayern so I think they just need to play to their game stick to their tactics and not make any silly mistakes because that is the worst team that they can do that against because Bayern will just capitalise on that and make you pay um, so it, it's it's hard to see a weakness in Bayern but Again, Dortmund still have many strengths about them, so you can't rule them out at all. It's going to be such an interesting game to watch, even for the, the football purist. In all of the big games that Dortmund have played against the big teams, like the four against Real Madrid and against Bayern, they've unsettled the tempo of their opponents and they've they've dictated it themselves, especially in the last games against it, with Ilke Gundogan who they played in the attacking midfield role before he got injured and, and come off. So I think if they can do that against Bayern in the final, then they, they'll they be able to unsettle them early and assert themselves on the game. And if another decision goes their way, then they can capitalise on it with Lewandowski. The key is that they start strong, because if they don't get into the game right from the very beginning, I think that it will become more of a struggle for them uh, to get a, a grip on the game because you know Bayern strength they will just take it by the scruff of the neck if they need to but yes Dortmund need to really start the game strongly and continue um, if they're going to win this Champions League final. Now, time is off the essence but very briefly a lot of Dortmund fans showed their displeasure towards Mario Kotze at the weekend several of them taping over their replica shirts with his name and number on the back do they have a right to be annoyed at him? Well, yeah, kind of, because, I mean, the, the, the very heart of this Borussia Dortmund team is that they are the, well, what we would call the hipster club. They're totally different. They, well, even their ultras have a, have a dislike of buying replica shirts because they don't like the commercialisation of the club. And this is this is essentially going through the first team since since they, they come back from the brink of 
uh, going into liquidation and they don't spend big on players other than the 17 million on Royce, justifiably. Um, and they liked, they're bringing through young players and, and turning them into a fantastic team with great great potential. So I think it's obvious that Dortmund fans are going to be really disappointed that Goetze, a key player in this wonderful team, is, is fleeing to join their, their biggest rivals who will then probably go on and, and dominate the league for another five years. So yeah, they'll be they'll be disappointed, but I don't think you can really blame them. Royce came out and defended them, saying, "Well, it's his decision. It's a big opportunity that is very very hard to turn down." And for one thing, I absolutely adore Goetz and find it hard to criticise him in any way. <laughs> Elsewhere in Germany over the weekend, Bayer Leverkusen made sure of third position and a Champions League place with a two 0 win over Nuremberg. Werder Bremen's troubles continued as they squandered a two goal lead in the last five minutes and were held two two at home by Hoffenheim in a relegation battle. Reuter Furt already relegated one 2-0 at VfB Stuttgart, Hanover and Mainz drew 2-all and 5th place Eintracht Frankfurt beat Fortuna Düsseldorf 3 goals to 1. Now there's quite a lot of information there Andy, where would you like to start? We could talk about Leverkusen again. Let's do that, Leverkusen who won 2-0 thanks to Omer Toprak and Stefan Kiesling. Now 3rd place, Leverkusen are very much perennial underachievers. Champions League position, at least they're in the group stages... Do you see them maybe progressing further than that? And also in the league domestically, can they at least perhaps dent Dortmund and Bayern's duopoly? Well, last time they were in the Champions League, um, they progressed beyond the group stages. And that was with debatably a, a weaker team than what they have now. So um, obviously it looks increasingly likely that they're going to lose Schürrle in the summer. Uh, reports in the past couple of days say that a, a move to Chelsea is pretty much done. It's a daft move, anyway. Um, it is a daft move. I don't I don't agree with it for a number of reasons. But he looks like he's set to go, so they need to replace him. Um, that's going to be a massive loss. Um, but you, you would think that they could perform on a, on a decent level in the Champions League, possibly look to getting through to the next stage, as so many German teams have <laughs> recently. Um, but in the league... Um, Obviously, FC Hollywood is going to dominate things for another year, it seems, particularly with the, the signings that they've agreed and look set to make in the summer. Uh, Dortmund will still be there or thereabouts, so I don't think they'll be able to challenge quite so high. But um, it's, it's bright times for Leverkusen. They've got a, a good team. They need to make sure they keep hold of uh, Kiesling and uh, Castro and some of the other players that have impressed this season, and then they can look to progress on. The, the, the joyous thing about the Bundesliga is that there's always a... A new team lingering about near the top of the table every season. There's always a new team challenging. Uh, for one year it's Schalke, the next it's Wolfsburg. So Leverkusen might be that team next year if they can get a few signings and play consistently well. Now I mentioned several teams there who are in European contention. It's seemingly between Frankfurt, Freiburg, Schalke and perhaps even Hamburg for the Champions League and Europa League places. Who do you see prevailing or rather who would you like to see prevail? Yeah, I think it's pretty much Freiburg and and Frankfurt are going to do it. Hamburg pretty much need Freiburg to lose to Grauterfurt and then lose to Schalke while they win or at least get four points. And they've got a winnable game against Hoffenheim, obviously, uh, and then they play Bayer Leverkusen, which is, which is very, very tough. But can't see Freiburg losing to um, Grauterfurt at all. So, yeah, I think Freiburg will, will hold on to that final spot and that'll be it. Excellent. Now we're going to go over to France very briefly. The celebrations in Ligue 1 were meant to be in the capital over the weekend as PSG were supposed to wrap up the title when they played host to Valenciennes. Alas, the champagne is still very much on ice after a rather poor performance by Ancelotti's team in a one all draw that was marred by the sending off of Thiago Silva and a shameful shoulder charge by PSG sporting director Leonardo on the referee at full time. 
it was up to defender Alex to cancel out Gail Danich's early goal with just eight minutes remaining. Now, PSG have rather stumbled over the line. What areas of the team do they most need to improve? And what do you make of the rumour, Arsene Wenger, to PSG? Um, well, there's going to be so many rumours around PSG. Um, the Ancelotti leaving's not going to go away. Leonardo leaving is not going to go away. But that that's the kind of thing that they're going to have to get used to now, being a, a big powerhouse in Europe. They're always going to be prone to speculation and rumour. In terms of uh, Arsene Wenger joining, I don't see it happening. I think he's going to stay at Arsenal. Um, but then when you look at where PSG need to improve the team, um, I think they need to sort out their over-reliance on Ibrahimovic um, because that has been their main thing this season. They have struggled when he's not been playing. They have, um, even at games where he's not performed well, the team hasn't performed well. So they need to get other players to stand up and be counted. Um, Pastore, in recent months, has shown that he has got the quality to play in that team. He's come on to more of a game which has been impressive but they do need to have more contribution from across the pitch and not make it so reliant on Ibrahimovic and then they can look to be a stronger force in the league and across Europe. Do you think if the other teams in the league were better prepared that PSG perhaps would not have won the league? Not really because the the main reason why certain teams haven't been able to compete is probably through a financial aspect. PSG are a team with money and a league that doesn't have a lot of money. Um, you see that with Marseille. They had to sell uh, Loic Remy, who even wasn't performing that well for them. They still got a chunk of money for him, but they haven't uh, splashed out any money over the past year. Leon as well, we've seen it in the amount of players that have left the club. Um, and the amount of quality players such as Michel Bastos, who I tend to talk about an awful lot on this show. But um, they've not replaced him. The, the only players that have come into the club have been young players and uh, cheap signings like uh, Mvwemba from, uh, from Lorient. So... It's not really a case of preparation, it is just a case of PSG have more money than everyone else, it seems. Now, Marseille and Lyon made sure of their Champions League credentials with a 3-0 win over Bastian Nancy, respectively. Meanwhile, more than 500 miles to the south, hundreds of fans gathered at Nice Airport to welcome home their heroes who had taken another giant stride towards qualifying for Europe earlier on Sunday. A brace from Darius Vitanich helping Nice to a 3-0 win at Rennes, which leads Claude Puel's side fourth in the table with three games left. They're perfectly placed to qualify for the Europa League and could still make the Champions League. Either way, this is set to be their best season since 1976. Nice have been, would you say they're the surprise packages of the season? Oh, definitely. Um, I think Claude Puel has done a fantastic job there. Um, Again, on a limited budget, similar to all the other teams in the league pretty much. Uh, the signing of Svitanic has been phenomenal. We've talked about him quite a lot on this show. Less than £300,000 uh, they paid for him. And what a deal that has turned out to be. He's contributed, was it 17 goals this season? 15, 17? Um, he's got well into double figures anyway. And uh, across the, the whole board, everyone is playing very well. Um, it's a, a great outfit, very good unit. Uh, all performing well as a team without really any standout individuals. And for them to achieve European football will be a phenomenal uh, record and a phenomenal achievement for this season. Now, the other big news in France comes from Monaco. Nine years since their remarkable Champions League final run, the club seem on course to return to France's top flight as they sit proudly atop of Ligue 2 with just a handful of games remaining. However, the club have found themselves in a considerable mess recently with the French FA. Andy, 
I will let you explain because it does seem to be a bit of a messy situation. Well, basically, to, to cut a long story short, in Monaco, being a province, uh, do not have to pay the same tax on players as teams in France do. Um, therefore, meaning that they can splash out so much money on players without having to pay the mass tax that other teams in France do, which has been probably the key to their success in Ligue 2 because they have bought players from all across the, the globe, particularly the signing of Ocampos from River Plate, uh, the teenager who's been a phenomenon for them. Um, and it, it seems likely to continue once they get promoted. So this has caused the, the two league governing bodies, the FFF and the LFP, to uh, get involved and request Monaco to either relocate their headquarters to France, which means they would be in tax regulation with the rest of the country's teams, or pay a fee of 200 million euros in order to keep their existing non-tax paying. So needless to say, the club feel victimised by this and are going to take it to court. So it's um, it's interesting times. It seems that off-field matters seem to be dominating more than matters on the pitch. And uh, yeah, um, if, if Monaco do sort this out, I, I believe that they will become uh, the, the second powerhouse in Ligue 1 alongside PSG, which probably to a, a disag- big, big call. Well, to the disagreement of a lot of people, I think it's probably going to be a good thing for the league because it's probably better to have two big teams challenging than just one big team dominating. And if you look at it, the players that PSG have attracted, um, if Monaco can bring more personnel to the league, it's going to boost the league, it's going to boost the coefficient. Um, Ludovic Obraniak, the, the Bordeaux player, uh, said that he would like to see um, Monaco become uh, France's big, uh, other big powerhouse because he feels that the, the talent that they could bring would make the league stronger and he would think it would be a privilege to play against these players. So I, I, I'm in agreement with him. I think it would be a good move, but obviously they need to sort out all this off-the-pitch matters before anything like that comes into play. Mercy, book up, Andro. Now going over to Spain, Real Madrid staved off the title celebrations of Barcelona for another week with an entertaining 4-3 victory over Valladolid at Santiago Bernabeu on Saturday. There's so many scorers, I'm not going to list them all, but just to say that Real Madrid won, but it was pretty nervy at the end. Now Jose Mourinho was booed by home supporters and some unflattering comments from Pepe surfaced earlier in the week. Iker Casillas was also rapidly cheered after several months out of the side. What conclusions can we take from this? Jose wants to go. Jose, Jose wants to go. The fans want Cassius and the players want Cassius back. Okay, it's essentially a done deal that Mourinho is on his way. Apparently. Seems like it. Is it a done deal that he's going to Chelsea? It seems uh, so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, he loves Chelsea. He didn't end the his tenure there didn't end in the best of terms with Abramovich, but they made up pretty quickly. Abramovich bought my nice watch. Um, <laughs> so when I, I buy you a nice watch We're still enemies right Yeah but you haven't bought me a watch So we'll talk after He that. doesn't have a watch Buy him um, a watch Have my watch so <laughs> I don't want you the watch It's been on you <laughs> So yeah so uh, he's, he's made it pretty clear That he wants to go to a club uh, That he loved This probably could have been Totally out in the blue by now He, he probably would have named Chelsea had ITV not cut him off in the Champions League game. But at the same time, he seems <coughs> to be kind of dancing around the issue and saying, yeah, oh, it's a club. Course. But he's not specifically saying, it's like, they're in London, but they're 
not in the north. They're <laughs> playing blue, but they're not reading. That kind of thing. He's just yeah, not saying it. QPR then, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, but uh, of course it's impossible though to say it in case something, in case it doesn't happen. I yeah. mean, anything could happen. Maybe, maybe he's he's just hinting that he wants to go back to Chelsea. Maybe Abramovich is thinking, hey, I'm not, not interested in him. But that uh, seems unlikely. Seems unlikely. Uh, why is he South African? No idea. Anyway, we're going <laughs> to um, go on to Iker Casillas and his. He was dropped from the side back in January, replaced by Diego Lopez. Was this perhaps a wise decision? Because Casillas was fit, but Mourinho decided to go with Lopez. And, I mean, as you saw at the weekend, Casillas was obviously well-received back at the Bernabeu. There's a, it's a strange, strange situation because, in my opinion, Casillas and Buffon are the best goalkeepers in Europe. Um, probably Casillas just edging it. And, um, strangely enough, uh, Mourinho said that he would have signed Diego Lopez earlier if he could have done. Um, which is quite a big call considering Cassias and his stature at the club and how highly he is regarded by the fans. Um, apparently I read that uh, Mourinho wanted to sign Diego Lopez in the summer. Uh, the club never agreed to it and then only brought him in when Cassias got injured back in January. Um, personally, I think it's more than the injury and more than performance levels. I think there's a personal thing going on there and um, Mourinho has had a falling out of some sorts with Cassias and just chosen not to play him. Yeah, but when he when he brought Lopez in to replace, uh, to take over from Cassias, Cassias had been making a lot of mistakes mm-hmm. in the season. He obviously had no competition, so you can see it from a sporting perspective, but I think it was a lot, obviously a lot of uh, dressing room politics going on. Now, champions like Barcelona were forced to come from behind but managed to secure a vital 4-2 victory over an, an impressive Real Batiste outfit at Camp Nou. Lionel Messi started the game from the bench, however he did come on and turned the game round with two goals of the highest quality. Now the talk of Barca being nothing without Messi has been rampant since their 7-0 loss to Bayern and those fears were thrust once more into the spotlight this weekend. It's getting quite hard to argue against the argument now, is it? Well, I would say that this game against Betis didn't really have any influence on the argument at all because Betis were playing really well, but... Um, uh, Barca spilled, went, spilled water on myself. Sorry, <laughs> Barca went. Barca were trailing twice, but they also come back twice. And when David Villa put the ball in the net for a second, it did kind of look decent. And he come on. It wasn't as if he, they were trailing with five minutes to go, and they brought him on and he scored two goals. I mean, they brought him on with half an hour left, and he did within minutes he had scored an absolute peach of a free kick. But it wasn't as if they were really, really struggling. I mean, Betis were playing well and they did pull level. So I don't think this this game uh, isolated has it much of an effect on on the the argument at all. I think we'll need to leave it until maybe a certain point in next season. No real dads. Sorry, Pete, but I have to. Time is time is going. I just like to finish off my sentence. Finish your sentence then. <laughs> Definitively. <laughs> Real Sociedad's hopes of playing Champions League football next season took a blow after they were beaten 2-1 by Getafe last night. The fourth-placed visitors had the opportunity to pull five points clear of Valencia in third, but the result means the gap remains just two points with four games of the campaign remaining. Now, Sociedad arguably have deserved that fourth place. Would you begrudge them losing out to Valencia, who, again, are perennially in third and fourth? I'd be disappointed if they did lose out to it. Um... Because, as I said last week, I think Sociedad have had a tremendous season. I think they fully deserve to get Champions League qualification. I'd like to see 
how the club would progress if they did qualify for the top four. But again, the element of um, Valencia being Spain's third force is really starting to slip away with Atletico Madrid coming into play. Um, and obviously Valencia and their finances and the, the stature of the club seems to be decreasing. Um, I, I, again, you want to see Spain's best teams in Europe you want Valencia to be there, but based on merit this season, I would like to see Sociedad qualify instead. Now, GFG World Review, as I say, does cover the leagues from around the world. And this week we go to Turkey, where Galatasaray sealed a record 19th Turkish title by beating Zavaspor 4-2 in Istanbul. Fatih Terim's side took a 4-0 lead thanks to braces from Selkan Inan and Burak Yilmaz before late consolations from Kader Bekmesi and Sihan Ozkara. Now, the result, coupled with Fenerbahce's 2-0 defeat by Istanbul BB, was enough to take them clear of their arch-rivals' 18 titles. Now, Galatasaray, with their big signers of Didier Drogba and Wesley Schneider, they did perform fairly well in this year's Champions League. Can they go one step further next year, perhaps, with a few more big-name signings? Well, it depends, because obviously, whenever you read about big players going to Turkey, there's obviously some form of financial problem not long after they sign. Um, We've seen that with a number of the the British-based players that have moved there. Um, Chris Boyd? Yeah, exactly. The the fantastic Chris Boyd. Um, So... The kind of cynical side of me is waiting to hear the next financial massacre in (laughs) Turkish football and see someone like Wesley Schneider come out and complain about not getting paid for a month or two and then these players will end up leaving the club. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but um, all congratulations to Galatasaray for winning the league this year and um, if they do have the money that's actually claimed to be there, then they, they could go out and spend it and become, again, a force in Europe like they, they were maybe about 10 years ago. Now, strap yourselves in, listeners. We're in the last league of the day, and Pete has been waiting for weeks and months to talk about this. Ajax secured their 32nd Eredivisie title with a 5-0 rout of Willem Tway <coughs> at the Amsterdam Arena on Sunday. Colbyn Sigtorsen and Christian Eriksen scored in the first half before Victor Fischer, CM De Jong and Danny Housen rounded off a comfortable victory as Ajax retained the title, sending Willem Tway down in the process. Frank de Boer's side have only been beaten twice in the league this season and wrapped up the title with one game to spare. Now Pete, take a deep breath because I'm assuming you're going to go on for a few minutes here. What has been the main reason for Ajax's success this season? Frank Go. de Boer. Frank de Boer, of course. I mean, they had a stuttering start to the season, but he, he's trained them into a machine that, in the second half of the season, just bursts through and, and never loses a game, wins almost every game. So they've been the more consistent over over the, the course of the season. PSV had a wonderful start and so did 20, but PSV were scoring in five, six goals a game. Uh, they were the highest scoring team in Europe at a point and it looked as if they were going to keep on going but Frank the Bulls team were battling the, the Champions League and the 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 league and they did very well obviously in the Champions League beating Manchester City and then drawn to each with them and then in the league they, they come back and, and really burst forward Colbyn Sigtorsen was injured for almost every game apart from the last 13 uh, he's come back and scored a lot of goals. He's he's without him they don't have a, a designated number nine, and they've always they've always relied on CMD Young or Christian Eriksen to play in that false nine role. Uh, Sigtorsen's come back and adjusted the style and and turned and really helped the team along. So Frank De Boer is but Frank De Boer is the one that's that's really kept them going and demanded so much of them, and that was evident in the very early stages of the season. I mean they were five one up against Neck in the second game uh, of the season, and even. There was that was when they were doing breaks 
at halfway through the second half and he was absolutely demolishing his team for conceding a goal and getting sloppy, even though they were 5 1 up. Uh, he was absolutely demolished them on the park, tore them apart, and they went out and scored another goal. So that shows how high his standards are, how how much he expects of of his players, and he's gone on and won a historic three in a row. And that's him. He's he got a message from Louis Van Gaal after the game saying, "Welcome to the beautiful list." Uh, what a beautiful list it is. Only him. Renus Michaels and Van Gaal are the three Ajax coaches to have won three league titles in a row. Those two coaches went on and had massive, absolutely incredible coaching careers and their influence in European football is, is still felt to this day. Frank de Boer, 42 years old, he's only in his, he's been coaching for two and a half years. Who's to say that he won't go on and have such an effect in, in Europe uh, later on in his career? I think he's, he's suited for Barcelona perfectly. Uh, it'll probably happen. But in other news, obviously, PSV <laughs> clinched second place. Feyenoord and Vitesse both lost, which is a bit of a shock. Um, Feyenoord went 2-0 down to Addo, and then they got a penalty. And it was, oh, absolute sex symbol. Graziano Pelle blasted his penalty over the bar. I do like that guy. Uh, and Vitesse, they went 2-0 they went down to Erkese, who went down to 10 men, but then they fought back two each. And then absolutely gave it away and it finished 3-2 to Erkese, so... That was big. Everything else is pretty much sealed up. Obviously, PSV are now second. In the relegation spots, Roda were leading Knack, but ended up losing 5-3. Wonderful. Eight-goal block. Um, and then Erkese obviously beat Vitesse, which keeps them up. So the playoff places are going to be Valentifer going down. Uh, VVV and Erkese will be in the playoffs. Uh, no, Roda, you say, sorry. Will be in the playoffs to try and extend their stay in uh, the Dutch top flight. The only there's only one more I think uh, Europa League spot to play and that's Heerenveen who could actually fall out after they got absolutely shafted on Sunday four uh, two um, against Utrecht yeah um, so now they're in danger of losing their spot to um, oh crap Ado I think um, so that will all go down to the last game there's only one game left mm. so next season it's going to be pretty interesting because Ajax are going to lose three key players CM De Jong Toby Alderweireld and Christian Eriksen but they'll bring in Adam Maher who is outgrown AZ also talks of uh, Marco van Ginkel coming from Vitesse should CM De Jong go which means that next season after all the celebrations everybody was talking about them going forward in Europe and I think they'll do it I must admit I feel like I've aged about a year. Do you stand in front of a mirror and practice this soliloquy every night before no, you go to the show? No, he's got a script underneath the table. Can you not see it from your side? Well, that's not the only thing I can see from over here. Boom. <laughs> Talking right, of so. Bonis, uh, Wilfred Boney, there's been a lot of talk of him moving on this week. It seems to be endless. Has, every he finally, week, has he finally decided where he's going? No, well, <sighs> he might have decided, I don't know, but he's not announced it. There ha- his agent said there's been no... No contact. The club have said there's been no contact from any clubs. Apparently, obviously, I said uh, apparently West Ham have been sniffing around. Oh, uh, he doesn't go there. Uh, there's been a few clubs. There have been a few clubs linked, but there's nothing definitive yet. The only thing that really is definitive is that he's leaving. Um, that's about it. Marco van Ginkel also said that he could leave. Which, if that happens, I mean, I think if Vitesse lose Wilfred Boney, they can cover for it. But if they lose him and van Ginkel, it sets them back a few years. Whereas Jordania wants to lift the trophy, well, they want to lift it this season, but he's going to try and push on next season. And without those two players, I don't, I don't know how they can recover for those two. Well, I'm going to issue an edict and say that we're not going to talk about Wilfred Boney's transfer until he actually signs for somebody. 
Another key one is uh, Alfred van Bogusen of Heerenveen. He's constantly linked to, to, to other teams and he's done fantastically well at Great Heerenveen striker. this season. Obviously, Juricic is going to, to um, Benfica. Benfica. And they recovered this season from losing Dost Asaidi and Luciano Narsing as well as uh, Elman Daryl Janmat. But this season, if they lose uh, Juricic, then the service to Van Bogusen is going to drop immensely if they don't replace Juricic. Because then they have Yasin El Khanasi, maybe if they can get him on a permanent deal from West Brom and Raiv Van Lapara. But then I think the the offers are going to be coming in for Van Bogusen because he has played so well in this season that he's going to really need to look at it and think, well... Am I going to have such a successful season this season? Th- uh, next season, can this team take me forward? And if he looks at it and thinks the answer is no, then can't really blame him for moving on to maybe Italy or England. Uh, I think he would do well anywhere he goes. 24 years old, bright prospect, doing very well. Wouldn't blame him. Danke, Pedro. And he speaks no, bef- about eight languages as well. Thanks. Now, before we leave the JFG Arena, get sprinkled with garlic and are served with potatoes and carrots, my thanks to Andy Ferguson. Merci beaucoup. You see, I referenced that roast chicken joke. Yeah, it was good. Well played. Oh, thanks, Andy. And to Peter McVitie. Grazie mille. I've been your host, Colin Stone. This has been a hot JFG World Review. See you next week.